Good morning. Today's scripture is um, Matthew 11, verses 25 through 30, and it won't be up here, um, so if you'd like to follow along, um, you can pull out your Bible app, and I'm reading from the NIV, um, and there's also Bibles all over the church kind of scattered throughout, so if you want to read from there too, those are ESV, but it's okay, whatever version you have. Um, all right, Matthew 11, 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hey, good morning. morning. Glad you guys are here. Um, One final announcement. I know we keep saying last announcement. Maybe last announcement. Um, So on, on July 31st, it's a Tuesday, about six weeks out from now, um, we are having the first of sort of a quarterly series I'm hoping to do called Reasoning, uh, where we gather and we pick a subject and I go through all the ins and outs of that subject and, um, and we take some time to ask questions and poke and prod at it and, uh, and look at how the subject has been viewed throughout history, Christian history, where it comes from, has the idea evolved, um, and, and maybe some different ways that this thing can be seen. So the first subject we're going to do is the topic of hell. Of course, why not? Um, because sometimes, you know, I get a lot of questions about what is hell. I hear rumors about myself and what I believe. It's great. Um, thank you, whoever's out there spreading rumors about me. Um, that's fine, whatever, let's talk about it. Uh, and uh, bring your questions. And I need you to RSVP on the city for this because... Um, if it's like less than 30 people, we're going to do it in the parsonage. Um, if, if it's bigger than that, if it ends up being like 50, 100, 150 people, that changes the format and how it works, okay? Because we're trying to create a time for question and answer while remaining focused on one subject and not getting off on bunny trails. So uh, we're trying our best to make this work smoothly and we'll work out the kinks, you know, after the first one or so. And uh, we'll have childcare. It'll be about seven in the evening. I know that's a little late for kids, but we're, we're balancing like dinner and bedtime. Which one should people skip? They should skip bedtime. Okay. Um, so we'll like meet here. We'll have childcare. The kids will watch Finding Nemo and we'll talk about hell. Okay. Uh, maybe we'll just put on Coco. I don't know. Haven't seen it. Um, okay. <laughs> I have no idea if that's a good reference or not. Haven't seen it. Okay, so, uh, flying blind today, there'll be several times during the sermon where I'll turn around and nothing will be there. (laughs) Imagine with me what might be there, okay? Uh, Maribel has actually uploaded the slides that I spent all day making yesterday um, to the website, watermarktampa.com, so um, pull out your supercomputer and navigate there if you feel like you really got to look at a picture of like an ancient synagogue or something. It's all there. All the passages are there. Um, But also, now that I'm not tied to my slides, I can go wherever I want and talk about whatever I want. So um, here we go. I'm going to read. So I'll give you a heads up where we're going to be. 
So if you're using an actual analog manual paper book, you can put your finger in these different places. Matthew 11, 25 and 26, obviously. Um, we're going to start there. Um, we are going to be, and we're going to spend a good amount of time in John 14. Um, I may, depending on how I'm feeling, go to John chapter 1. I like it. I like the freedom. Okay. So let's go. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 and 26 says this. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Okay. Jesus is coming to a bit of a revelation here. Okay. Um, This is how I see it. And and people like N.T. Wright kind of see this, um, that there is this sort of um, Jesus sort of gradual understanding of what exactly is going on of who exactly he is, what all of this is. Um, and there is... Um, so in the ancient world, let's talk about... <clears throat> let's talk about blessing and the, the, the blessing of wisdom in the ancient world. There was... The idea in the ancient world in the first century of the Jewish people was that the blessing of God that came through wisdom um, only came about through hard work, through studying through regular times of spending time in the synagogue, debating, um, learning, memorizing scripture, reciting it, listening to, other, listening to other people recite it. It was very much a mental exercise. It was an exercise for people who had leisure time, um, who had extra time in their lives. Um, and so this is basically how you gained what they considered the blessing that comes with the wisdom of the knowledge of God. However, if this is the setting in which you gain the blessing of God, the question arises, well then, um, well then really who can access that blessing that comes through the wisdom of understanding who God is? Um, because it rules out a lot of people. Women, for instance, couldn't enter the synagogue and, com- and, and compete in these debates. Um, they, they, past the age of 12, 13, uh, women were sort of cut off from the fellowship in the temple and the synagogue. Um, so they were out. Um, people who didn't have the mental aptitude to compete and to take part, they were out. Those who were illiterate were out. Those who didn't have any leisure time, um, if they were poor, they had to spend all their time working, they were out. So what happens is the understanding, the knowledge of God only becomes accessible and, and the blessing that comes with that is only accessible to those who are elites, who have money, who have time, who are the right gender, who are uh, in the right social class, which leaves everyone else out and a few people inheriting what they call the blessing of the wisdom of God, okay? Um, now, um, all of this falls in line with the ancient Jewish idea of what's called the way. Regular, regularly throughout scriptures, you're gonna see this reference to this thing called the way. Um, and the Christians were called the followers of the way. The ancient Jewish people used to write about following the path, the way. The word for way is, is the same Hebrew word that is translated in this in several times as either way or road or path. Um, and they're commanded to know the way of the Lord and to walk in it, okay? Um, here's a few references of scripture here. Uh, Exodus 18, teach them his decrees and instructions, show them the way that they are to live and how they are to behave. So there's a particular way that led to an understanding of God, a way that led to the, who they called the Father, Yahweh, the Lord of all. And if you wanted to know this God, you walk in the way. Uh, it was the law of Moses. It was the Torah. It was all of the ways that the Jewish people were supposed to order their life. That was the way. 
Okay? There were other ways, but they were not the way to the Father. That was the way down the path of destruction. Jesus uses this, these words to describe a narrow way, uh, a narrow path, and a wide path. One leads to destruction. One leads to blessing in the Father. We talked about that a few months ago. Um, Psalm uh, chapter 86, verse 11. Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. So teach me your ways. So there's like, there's this road that leads to God. And it has to do with walking in the path of the Torah, the law. Um, it, was, it was the way of Moses. It was, it was the, the constant drudging forward of like trying to obey the laws. It was keeping the Sabbath. It was paying your tithes. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of sacrifices uh, when you screwed up. It was, it was a heavy burden. And it was the way of God. It was how people understood it. Um, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So the word of God lights the way to God, right? So, okay. So all of this is in the mindset of the early early, um, Jew, the early Jewish Christian as well. Um, And so Jesus at some point comes to realize the upper echelon who have access, who have walked the way, who have the time and the the leisure and the money and the access, they, it, it appeared, were not growing in the path of Jesus. They were not growing in justice and love and grace and mercy. Perhaps you have seen stuff like this where the people at the top who were the most educated, who should, who should be doing the right things, living the right way, um, are not. And then you meet someone at the very bottom who has seemingly integrity and can walk in the path of Christ quite easily, who the, the person at the very top is uh, you know, falling into you know, affairs and, and struggling with you know, committing monetary crimes, and the person at the bottom is living this life of, um, of holiness somehow. And this is exactly what Jesus began to see. He began to see that the people at the very top were not loving, they were not generous, yet the people that were following him, uh, as he was accepting them and loving them and spending his time and teaching them, they were becoming more like him. And so he speaks and he says, I praise you, Father. He's, he's got this prayer going up. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Um, and so we go to the next verse. Uh, verse 27 here, read this with me. It says, it says, all things have been committed to, be my, to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So he says, um, basically, um, I am in the Father. The Father is in me. I know the Father. The Father knows me. And if you want to know the Father, um, that access comes through me. Okay, now, this is the central great claim of Christianity. The central claim... Um, the biggest, I'd, I'd say, most important claim in Christianity. Some would say, um, some would say it, it is, um, it is things like uh, you're a sinner and the death of the cross cleanses you of your sins, so you can go to heaven. Um, while that is an important concept in Christianity, the, the the real most important concept that that Christians held to and that they wrote about and that they dwelled upon was the idea that if you wanted to know God fully, the full knowledge and breadth and revelation of who God is, it is Jesus. And, and, and also that is revealed on the cross of Christ as well. But the, the great Christian claim was God is fully expressed in the man Jesus Christ. 
fully present, fully there, can be fully known in Jesus. Um, the way that the Jewish people for a long time have sought to know Jesus was through their history. The Old Testament, um, you may have noticed, it, it's like a great narrative story of one group of people, where they came from, how they grew, the things that they went through until the very end. Um, a lot of it was passed down through oral tradition for a very long time. And this oral tradition, um, eventually, when it had to be written down, when they're in Babylon and they're outside of, of their, they lost their temple, they lost their identity, they have children being raised who have never seen the temple, who have never known what it's like to live in the promised land. They say, we're going we're gonna to lose this story. So they begin to write it down. Um, and so the Old Testament history is actually what historians call historiography. It was a way of writing history that was an argument. Um, in other words, here's the argument. Here's our history, and here's what our history says about God. The entire point of telling the history uh, uh, of, of, their, of their own past, according to the writers of Scripture, was to understand God. It was not simply to be a record of what they've gone through. The whole point of telling the story, the whole point of going back and reading the stories of this king and then this king and then this king and then there was exile, there was war, there was battle, there was all these things happened and we came out of exile and then we went back into exile again. The whole reason for telling this entire story was to know who God was. And there's a lot of things that they can glean from this story. If you read the prophets, what they're doing is they're pointing out the things that have happened. Every time God speaks, he says, I am the God who did this for you and this for you. I brought you out of Egypt brought you to a land. Listen to my words now. Um, when the prophets speak, they, they deliver the word of God who brought you out of Egypt who, and, and they start mentioning the things in their history. And then the prophets will name certain things that happened and interpret them to tell you about God. And so the things that we learn that the, that the Jewish people learned about Yahweh in the Old Testament, some of them were very simple. They noticed whenever they cried out, God would rescue them. So God is long-suffering. They noticed whenever... Um, uh, whenever they turned and worshipped other gods, their god would back away and allow them to fall uh, into oppression and exile. So God is holy and, 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 and he's just. They noticed whenever, um, uh, whenever they called out, God was capable, no matter who had enslaved them, the Assyrians, this massive empire, or the Babylonians, even bigger, whoever had enslaved them, God was always able to free them when they decided to cry out. So he was strong. Also, um, he was present with them because he could hear them crying out. So there was nowhere that they could go where they, God was not there. So the theology of the Jewish people came from the, them retelling their story over and over and over. And every time they told it, they would look for the nature of God in it. Okay? So Jesus, so we have, that's, in other words, they're looking for the truth. Who is God? This is what they're seeking. Um, and through going through their story, this is what they're trying to figure out, the truth. Now, um, Jesus, through this statement, through coming in and saying, you want to know the Father, you know me. What he's basically saying is, um, God is not known anymore through all the little bits and pieces of information. You will no longer be required to have the intellectual prowess to piece this stuff together. Um, you will no longer be required to look back and do everything you can to figure this stuff out. Because here's the thing. Um, the truth about God is murky in, in, in the Old Testament. 
They are, there are debates. There are people arguing in the Old Testament with each other, different writers. Some of them saying, God can change his mind, like Jonah argues this. And, and others saying, God never changes, always stays the same. And others, there's all these different ideas and they're being argued um, because it's murky and it's difficult to see the true exact nature of God because what we have is all these different pieces like a giant mosaic where, or like a, a stained glass window has been smashed on the ground and you're just trying to pick up these pieces and put it back together to get a full picture of who God is. And Jesus walks in and says, that's not how you know God. Um, you will know God now the same way that, that, that a son knows um, a father. It will be spending time. Uh, it will be relationship. It will be a following. It's different. It's wildly different than anything that they had expected. You know, they always say, psychologists say like, uh, for parents, um, uh, more things are caught than taught for your kids. Like sometimes um, your kids start getting a little older and you see something in them. You're like, where'd you learn that? You're like, oh. And your spouse is like, well, that's you. You, That's you being represented in them. Thank you for that. I'm like, I never taught them that. Of course you did. They're always watching you. They're becoming like you, like their father. And Jesus argues, this is how you will know the father. It will not be, uh, the knowledge of God will no longer be kept and held by the people at the very top who are wise and learned and and, and intellectual prowess and all male and this and that. It it will be different now because what I'm seeing is that um, as people follow me, they are becoming more like God. And so Jesus is basically saying, um, now God is revealed through me. Okay, now, um, this is a huge claim. Um, so a few years ago, me and my wife went to New York. We took, it was about 2015 or so, maybe, maybe older. We, we, took our, we took our family up to New York. My parents live up there, upstate New York. And we had like an extra like $400 in the vacation fund. Thanks, Dave Ramsey. And we uh, were like, well, why don't we go to New York City for, for like 48 hours and get away from the kids for the first time like ever. Um, and so we bought some train tickets, and we went to Albany. We hopped on the train, and we took it into Penn Station down, downtown, and, and, uh, and we had a good time for a couple of days. And, and we had put a post out on Facebook to our friends. We were like, hey, um, anyone who's there, um, we're look- I guess we're looking for a place to stay, uh, and we're looking for pe- people to hang out with. And someone had written back, and she said, hey, um, we didn't know this person in real life. We hadn't never really met this person in real life, but we had talked with her tons of times all over the interwebs on the different social medias and, and uh, we had, you know, you go back and forth and you crack jokes and you get to know people's personality and, and you feel like you know people, right? And so when she reached out, she's like, hey, my husband's out of town. You guys, I'll sleep on the couch and you guys can sleep in our bedroom and I live in Brooklyn and it's real close and let's do this. And we're like, okay. So we go and we get there and we meet her. And so maybe you've experienced this. You have an idea of what somebody is like. You, it's all made up of pixels and little bits of information, right? Um, and you sort of know their story. You've seen it. It's gone through the pictures and everything. You know what they look like and all this. But then when you get there in real life, they're wonderful. They're amazing. But they are not the person that you expected, right? Like their mannerisms are a little more humble. Um, voice is quieter. Less outgoing than you expected. Even a little shorter than you expected. You know, like, <laughs> and you're like, wow, this is not... You know, there's some adjustments to make. There is, um, 
there's adjustments to be made as you take this old picture that you have in your mind and you replace it with this new picture. And as this illusion of like knowing somebody by studying bits and pieces of information about them, um, and you compare that with what is standing there before you, this thing now has to be either put away and, and, and made new with this knowledge of this person, or it has to be brought in and looked at through the lens of now of this person. This is what we're dealing with. This is what um, Jesus was doing. He was saying, you have all these bits, bits of pieces of information. You have all the words of the prophets. They're all like trying to describe this one thing. Um, here I am. You will now look at our past through me. Okay. Now, the first church, when they talk about Studying the Bible in the first, first century church, they're not talking about the New Testament. That was canonized um, a little later. When, when, when they are studying the Bible, what they're doing is in the first, the first century church, they're opening up the Old Testament now and they're reading it through the lens and in light of what they know now about Jesus. And they're looking through the Old Testament and they're saying, oh, look at this. These are things we've never seen because now we have the full image of Jesus. This is how the first century church read the Bible. This is what it was for them. And when they talk about the Bible, they're talking about the Old Testament and their story. And they're looking at Jesus and they're reading the Old Testament through the revelation of who Christ is. And they're making adjustments. Okay? And then these letters start moving around. And they start going. Okay? Um, now, um, so Jesus says, if you know me, you will know my father as well. And this is in some sense what he is talking about. This idea of meeting a person in real life. Um, okay, so if you will remember... Matthew, the book of Matthew, is not chronological. Uh, maybe you've noticed the entirety of chapter 11 has been people who had an idea about what God was like, and then they see Jesus, and they have a really hard time adjusting because Jesus is not what they expected. They expected something else because all they've had is bits and pieces. And so the full revelation is here. Now they have to make all these adjustments. Um, there's John, there's the scribes and Pharisees, there's the disciples, and then there's this passage here where he's saying, and the, the, the well-learned people don't get it, but you guys have, you don't have this construct built up and you are getting it. You are feeling the love of God through Christ. Okay, so um, the book of Matthew, the reason there's this entire chapter is sort of the same thing over and over and over is because the Matthean church Matthew as the pastor and, and the church is putting this book together um, not as a chronological record but as a theological argument to the Jewish people that Jesus is the one they've been waiting for and looking for. Um, there are other gospels which are much more chronological. Um, Matthew is not the chronological gospel. Everything is ordered in specific ways. It's even divided into five sections because it represents a new Moses who they considered the author of the five books of the Pentateuch. Like the entire structure of Matthew is this really unique, interesting thing. Um, it's an argument. Um, so in other words, what I'm trying to say is, this passage, these five verses, um, were not, they're not chronological. They were not said in this order. Um, the middle passage there that we just read is actually, um, it was said in a completely different setting. Um, John, John writes about this. Uh, it, it was, it, the setting was basically this. Um, a few days before Jesus was arrested and crucified, Jesus is having a meal with his disciples. And Jesus tells them, um, I'm going to go away for a little bit. Like, he's not being real direct. He had told them several times, I'm going to be crucified. Um, and they're like, yeah, I don't get it. Um, and he tells them, I'm going, to, I'm going to be killed and rise again. And they're like, it's, yeah, it's not making sense. It's, I don't, it's not making sense at all. Um, and so Jesus is telling them now, I'm going to go away for a little while. And then there's a little bit of a debate that ensues. And now we're in John 14. So um, turn on your Bibles and look at John 14 with me. Um, and so it says this. 
Um, so here's Jesus talking about where he's going. He says, John 14, starting in chapter, uh, chapter 14, verse 2. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Uh, you know the way to the place that I am going. So he says, I'm going away. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I will come back and I will bring you to this place. Now, uh, modern evangelical Christians tend to read this and as they do with most passages in the Bible, they, they assume it's about the afterlife. Uh, what this is, is it is literally a, 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 literally a metaphor um, for a Jewish wedding. Literally a metaphor. <laughs> Whatever. Um, for a Jewish wedding. So the way a Jewish wedding would work, and I've talked about this before, a little refresher course, uh, free of charge. Um, the, the Jewish wedding went a bit like this. Um, a husband and groom, uh, husband and, husband and uh, groom and bride were, were, were uh, um, betrothed to each other. So the, the, the groom, young man, would go back to his father's house and he would basically say, um, Father, it, it, is, it is time. And the father would tell him what to do and he would start building this addition onto um, his father's house. And he would build this addition onto the house. And when his father would, he'd be inspecting it regularly. One day he'd come out and say, son, you did a good job. It's complete. Let's go. And they would gather the family together. They would gather the wedding party together. And they would go down um, to where the bride lived. And they would go get her um, and take her back to his house. So that where he is, there she may be also. Because his father's house has many rooms. Right? Like the whole picture is here. Um, what he's basically saying, that, saying is this. Um, for so long, you've been traveling the way. And it's arduous and difficult. It's really, really hard to make progress. Um, and you wonder if you're ever going to get there. Um, and Jesus says, I'm doing something new. I'm going to go. He's talking about his crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection. He says, I'm going to go as a groom. Here's what we're going to do. You want to know my father. I'm going to go as a groom. I'm going to prepare a place for you in my father's house and I'm going to come back. You're going to be my bride. I'm going to marry you. I'm going to marry you right in to the father's house. I'm going to bring you right in. There will be no more work. There will be nothing else to do. I'm going to just bring you into the family and when you join the family, um, when you come into my father's house, you will receive all of the blessings um, that a child of the father would receive, the inheritance, the dwelling place, all of it. And you will, the biggest desire of the Jewish people is to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And this is what Jesus is promising he will give them. You will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You will be accepted. There will be no more work to do. There will be no more sacrifices. I am bringing you in. So this is not about the afterlife. This is about everything the Jewish people have ever desired. Rightness with the Father. To be made whole again. To be accepted. And Jesus says, Tell you what, I'm going to take the whole job away from you. I'm going to go to my father's house. There's many rooms there. I'm going to build another one and I'm going to go prepare a place and I'm going to bring you into it, okay? So it's not, you know, Jesus' disciples were failures. That's what they were. That's why he chose them. Um, and he, he takes these failures and he brings them in. And instead of forcing them to walk this really difficult path, he says, I'm just going to, yeah, I'm just going to marry you in. It'll be easy. Don't worry. You're going to be in the family. And then he goes a little farther because Thomas has a question. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you are going. 
So how can we know the way? And that's in, um, that's in verse 5. And so Thomas, ever the skeptic, completely misses the metaphor once again. And Jesus says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to marry you. He, Jesus is speaking like high, religious, righteous, like holy, poetic talk. And Thomas is like, yeah, we'll meet you there. But like, what's the directions? Is there like an address? I'm going to put something in the GPS. And Jesus is like, look. Okay. And then he launches into like the, the most well-known saying that Jesus has ever made. And you're going to find it right here in John 14, chap, uh, chapter 14, uh, verse 6. Uh, Jesus answered, I am the way. We just talked about this. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Three incredibly Jewish things that they center their lives around. He says, all that walking on the path, following the law, the Torah, memorizing, just all of that stuff. He says, that was the way. He's like, I'm here to tell you, I am the way. This, and this picture that you've wanted, you've got all these pieces and we're all debating about what God is like and because you want to know the truth. I am the truth and I am the life. And the life is like this thing that, that John picks up at the very first chapter and he connects it to creation. Like the one who can make all things new, the one who brought it all into existence and can fix it again. He goes, everything that you desire, everything the Jewish people have ever wanted can be found in Jesus. That is the meaning of this passage, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That is what it means. Um, and then Philip speaks up. And uh, this gets interesting. So uh, Philip, in verse 8, he's, he looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. So here's what Philip is doing. Philip um, is basically taking, Philip has this mosaic in his mind of a picture of God, all these little pieces, and Philip takes Jesus and puts Jesus as a piece of the mosaic into the puzzle. A lot of Christians do this. They read scriptures from Genesis to uh, Revelation, and Jesus is just one expression of God in the book to them. And Jesus becomes a piece to their bigger systematic puzzle that they are putting together. Um, The disciples would have none of that. Jesus became and was supposed to be viewed as the full ultimate expression in the scriptures of God. And all other pictures of God must be viewed through Jesus. Jesus is not one piece of the puzzle. He's not one little thing that tells you also, also God is this. So if you have struggled with these different pictures, why does God look so different here and there? Because there was pieces, there was arguments. And then suddenly Jesus is there. And now all, all views and all arguments must be filtered through God on a cross. That, there it is. So um, Philip picks up this thing. He's trying to put Jesus into the mosaic. And Jesus looks at Philip. Um, and, and in verse 9, he says, he says, Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So um, imagine if we had met our friend in New York and first thing we do is we sit down and we start talking and like, hey, tell me about this person online. Tell me about them. Um, what do they like? What are their hobbies? I saw this picture. What, why were they there? And I'm speaking about this person as if it's this not here person who is sitting right in front of me. That would be a weird, sort of astonishing thing to do. And they would say, that person is, I'm right here. Like, you can talk about me. Like, I'm here. This is me. And so what happened is, the pixels became flesh. Right? 
And so what happened with Jesus was the word became flesh. John writes in John chapter one, he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The debates are no more. Here it is. There's nothing to think about. There's nothing to really argue. Here it is. And any expression of God that, that we take that doesn't line up with just this person, just Jesus, the expression that Jesus has given us is unnecessary, is likely not even useful. This is what the early Christians were saying. In their world, this was a brand new concept. No one had ever thought of this. No one had ever heard of anything like this. Now, um, okay, so... Jesus is asking you to embrace not an idea, not a systematic theology, none of that. He's asking you to embrace a person. He's asking you to embrace that. And then, and then Jesus tells us a little bit about the person in the next passage, um, as the Matthew church would have you read it. They wanted you to read that. So Jesus is the expression of God. And then they wanted you to read this, uh, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And here's what it says. And this is one of my favorite passages in scriptures. You'll see why in a minute. It says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So first off, I want to talk about the yoke. It's not um, a breakfast food. He's talking about um, a giant wooden thing that two oxen would line up and you would drop this yoke on their necks and it was sort of shaped like a, like a, like a hipster mustache, like this, and it would have a ring in the middle. Um, and the ring would have, you'd have some metal straps attached to that that would go to a plow and you would, yeah, and then drive them through the field, right? And they would plow in a line together and all you have to do is guide them and the, the oxen are doing all the work. Um, this is a yoke. However, rabbis in the first century used this language of the yoke for something completely different. They took the imagery of the yoke and they said, they called their teachings a yoke. When they would talk about, um, here's how I believe the scriptures should be interpreted. Here's who I think God is. Here's what God looks like. They would say, this is my yoke. This is my, like, we are going to grow something new. If we're going to make things new again and whole again, we got to do some work. And so yoke yourself to me and we will together do the work. And this is how they would talk about it. Um, there's a particular rabbi. Um, his name was, um, I don't want to get this wrong. Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Joshua ben Sirah, and he was about 130 to 150 years before the time of Jesus. We have a lot of, of, of his writings left over. In the time of Jesus, this rabbi had disciples still there with, with his teachings, and there were tons of rabbis, and they were all referring to their own teachings as a yoke that you would wear. And there was a particular like, sort of statement, like a, like a mission statement about their teachings that they would have. And it would always mention this idea. For instance, uh, here's a bit of, um, of Joseph ben Sira's sort of rabbinical statement. He said this, Draw near to me, all who are uneducated. Place your neck under the yoke and let your soul accept training. If you have found, uh, I have found much rest for myself. And there's more in there. These are the key parts that are really important. Um, so he says, Come to me, all you who are uneducated. I will educate you. You will learn. You will do hard work and you will learn and I will teach you the things you need to know. Um, come to me, you who are, uned, who are uneducated, place your neck under the yoke uh, and let your soul accept training. Training is hard work. We're going to get to work and we're going we're to beef you up and make you into the person that you need to be. Okay? 
And then he says, he ends it with, I have found rest for my soul. In other words, I did all the work. I'm elite. I'm enlightened. And I have found rest for my soul. And the reason I have is because I've done all the work. And now you can hire me for $9.99 a month and I will be your drill sergeant. And we'll wake up every day at six o'clock and I'll put you through rabbinical boot camp. And you too can find rest for your soul if you do all the hard work. That was the language. Jesus, Rabbi Jesus of Nazareth, enters in and he says this, come to me, because they're all saying come to me and they're giving descriptions. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Specific name for like having a yoke already on you. Are you tired of trying to figure this out? Are you tired of the religious laws? Are you tired of the runaround? Are you tired of trying to live up to the standard? Are you tired? Are you exhausted with religious people? That's what Jesus is saying. Come to me, all you who are tired from working. Whereas the other rabbis are like, come to me and I will show you how to work. And Jesus says, okay, all those who have failed at doing the work, raise your hand, come over here, cross the line. And then he says, I will give you rest. He doesn't say, I found rest through all my hard work and all, my, all the things that I've done. He says, you know what? If you're exhausted from trying to find rest, just come to me. I'll give you rest. I'll just give it to you. Nothing to do. It's yours. You want it? And then he says something fascinating. Um, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart. He's not building himself up. You will find rest for, you will find rest for your souls. Um, And then he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the word easy in the Greek, this is great. The word easy is this word krestos. Everyone say krestos. All right. Easy. Um, this word is also translated different places in, uh, in secular scriptures and in biblical texts as well-fitting, as easy, individually made to fit, um, tailor-made, things like this. Um, in fact, there were, um, I've, heard, I've read two different historians that talk about these ancient sort of high-end yoke makers, right? And they would make custom yokes for specific cattle for rich people so their cattle could work longer and harder and get more done without any kind of discomfort. So you would bring your oxen in and they would sort of measure and they would cut the yoke to be a specific shape that would match like sort of the uh, shoulder blades of the ox, who knows. Um, And they would put it on there and they'd take it off and they'd trim a little more and put it on. They would spend just weeks and weeks making this yoke that would fit perfect. Um, And above their door or on the signpost out in front of their workshop would be a sign. You know what the sign said? My yoke is crestos. My yoke fits. Jesus is making a super witty marketing joke to talk about the fact that what everyone else is doing isn't attainable by everyone. He's saying, look, they, they're, they're, they're going to they're gonna put you through it, man. They're going to make you work really hard to win their approval and to earn the love of God and to welcome you into their community. He goes, my yoke, it, fit, it just fits. It fits you. It fits you. And imagine um, all those who are incapable of the other yokes. Um, children, handicapped, the poor, immigrants, the uneducated, the humble, the lowly. Um, all those, how about all those who are destitute, who don't have either the time nor the uh, money to do this kind of work? Single mothers, fathers with four jobs, um, the homeless and the destitute, the orphans who are taking care of their younger siblings. They, uh, they're refugees. They are everywhere in this world. And, 
And Jesus says, the, these people will never live up to your standards. And he says, you know what? They're not going to get it up top. Um, they've already got their structure of what God looks like. He goes, I'll tell you what, um, my yoke, it's easy. It, it fits you, who you are, where you are. It is for you. It is not something that you need um, to work really hard to attain and to adjust yourself to. Um, it is freely given. I have done the work. I have built the room. I'm going to bring you into the family. I have grace for you. You cannot um, live up to their standards. And so God comes in the flesh and stands before you today to tell you God's love fits you. Not the person that you desire to be. It fits you. Always. And you will grow and you will change and it will fit you. And, and you will go through ins and outs of life. You will have successes and you will have failures and the love of God will fit over you perfectly. And this is all I'm asking is that you would take the yoke upon me and just find rest. He says, I'm not lofty above you. I'm humble. The, the, the God, the cosmic creator of all things the way, the truth, the life present with you and for you and changing his very form of spirit into the shape of a man taking on suffering for you, coming closer and closer and closer and closer to you. And so the addict and the biblical scholar receive the exact same amount of love. The Matthean church was not playing around when they put this together. They are speaking to the future church. The church is supposed to be the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is supposed to act in the way that Jesus did. And so people walk in the doors and we say, this community is for you. This community is the body of Christ. The burden is light. The yoke is tailor-made for you. Come, learn about Christ we have no doubt that you'll grow um, but the first thing you need is welcome the first thing you need is to sit at the table and just taste and see that the Lord is good not that the Lord is too much of a burden not that the Lord is this massive piece of laws it's there follow him you are being asked to embrace a person not this huge, massive construct of ideas. Okay? So we're going to take communion. This is the expression of that. All welcome to the table. Take a piece of bread, you dip it in the wine, and you eat it. Our communion servers can go take the elements and spread around the room. Hey, we're a little early. All right. Um, and uh, we'll spend some time contemplating all of this. If, if you are carrying some things, we want you to be free of them. If you've... Um, if you have things you need to get off your chest and confess, if you have things that, that you need to work through with somebody else, take some time and pray with the person next to you. We are, we are the royal priesthood of the saints, as Paul calls us. We, uh, you can hear confessions from other people and say, look, in the name of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done, your sins are forgiven. Not because of anything I have, but because of what I have been given from Christ. And we point to Christ and we say, look, be free of this thing. God does not want you to carry this. Be free of it. Move on. Um, if you need prayer, right through these doors on the left, there's a prayer room back there. We would invite you um, to utilize that however you need it. 
Um, but we'll, uh, we'll give you some time of prayer here and we will uh, allow you to take some time with communion. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this place and these people. Continue to help us to have a picture of you that perfectly aligns with, with Jesus Christ. Allow us to, when we think of God, when we think of the Almighty, the Creator, the, the all, let us picture you. Let us follow. Thank you, Father. In your name, amen. Take some time. Talk to Jesus. Jesus.